How are you all doing this morning? Good, good. Tired? Yeah, a little tired, but good to see you. Good to see you all here this morning. Welcome, whether you're uh, worshiping with us here in person or you're worshiping with us online right now or later or next week or whenever. We are glad that you are here in this moment, uh, uh, sort of bounded together by the Spirit uh, to worship this morning. It's really good to see your all's faces. All right, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Revolution Kids. Yay! <laughs> Miss Erica is here. She is ready for you. Here they come. Well, I wanted just to start off by saying thank you um, to all of you for so many uh, who prayed and offered your support and, and just check-ins and uh, monetary support and prayers and just all of the things over our service trip last week. Uh, we got back yesterday morning, oh, about noon, we got back yesterday and just had a, a wonderful experience. The wonders of God that we saw, uh, staying at Hanson United Methodist Church and then working there in Dawson Springs for the week. I um, just have a couple of pictures I wanted to show you just so you could see a little bit of the work uh, that we participated in. Uh, mostly it was on some new home builds. Uh, two of the homes on Monday and Tuesday, uh, we, we did a little bit of some electrical rough-in work. I learned a lot about that and then got excited when we saw another new home build that had yet to have, you know, the holes drilled through the wall and the outlets, you know, hammered in. I thought, oh, look, they need to put an outlet here and an outlet there. We learned a lot, didn't we, Bob? Here we go. Now my iPad's going to warm up. Here we go. Trying to play it, <laughs> Doug. So in, in a lot of these cases, and uh, the first house that we did work on, okay, there we are. So I took a picture out of Pearl. Um, that was the new house that we were working on, putting in the electrical rough-in. Over to our left, the family was actually staying in a trailer. And in between the trailer and the home on their lot where they had lost their, their home in the tornado, um, is just sort of all of their stuff on the ground covered as best they could in between those two. And that was the case in a lot of situations. Uh, I know Matt and a couple others went and moved some things for another family that had built sort of like a temporary um, shelter of sorts, like a carport, but for all of their belongings that were sitting on the ground as they were in temporary housing, awaiting for their new home build. Device unavailable. Okay, that's fine. That's fine, Keynote. You just, you just do your thing this morning. Here we go. Now we're cooking. Okay. So this is the house, the first one we were doing some electrical rough in. Um, you can, Doug, let me see if it'll let me do it now. Okay. Am I on it? Okay. Um, and I just, there's a picture just to prove that, you know, I did something. I got up on a ladder. I wanted to make sure. Just kidding. It's fine. Uh, life skills camp, learning all kinds of, you know, cutting things. Um, and then, so the, the, from Tuesday through Friday, this was sort of the main project that we did, a house here in Dawson Springs, a partnership with Habitat for Humanity and lots of other organizations. Uh, we got there, and they already had the foundation and the subfloor laid, but this was going to be a three-bedroom, two-bath house for a retired vet um, who lost his house in the tornado. And this was on a street where you could see pretty much most of the houses had been rebuilt, um, or they had not yet come back, or they had had roofs, you know, new roofs put on. And so over the course of the next couple of days, this team unloaded these 
sort of, uh, you know, pre these walls that had already been put together, but it was like a big jigsaw puzzle. And they put up the exterior walls. That was after, I think, just Wednesday. And then the interior walls as well of the room started going up. And they did so well on that. Here's the house at the end of the week. All of the walls put up. That they even were able to start some of the sheeting on the side. It's a word I learned. There we go. That was on Friday. Had to, four o'clock, we had to sort of like pull them off the work site because Matt and a couple others and Bob, they just wanted to keep going all the way around. It's like, okay. Uh, and also on Friday, we did some debris cleanup that we sort of expected to do, uh, but they just were farther along in their rebuilding process than we anticipated, which was a good thing. There's the front. Uh, the front of the house, the front porch there, front door on the right, and into that three-bedroom, two-bath house. Um, so it was it was a great experience. We thank you for your all support. Um, you know, a lot of lessons that learned on these sort of service trips, as we sort of like reminded one another each night. Sort of the first one is have a flexible spirit. <laughs> Uh, open to whatever the day uh, might have in store to practice. There were lots of opportunities to practice patience um, as we were taking one day at a time and reminding ourselves that it wasn't about us and all that we could accomplish and all that we could do. It wasn't sort of an us versus them. You know, here we come in with you know all of the labor and, and to save the people in need. It, it was really just us all together, partnering with other churches that were there, working on this house with us, and, and other organizations and people from the community. And really, at the end of the day, it was really all about how God was showing up in the midst of destruction, in the midst of, of so much loss. Um, God just continued to show up and, and offer hope and renewal and rebuilding uh, here in, in Dawson Springs, where we were working for most of the week. So uh, just wanted to share that with you all to say thank you. You all were a part of that work. Even if you weren't one of the nine that was with us on the ground, uh, you, you supported us, you prayed, you're a part of this body, and, and together uh, we sort of made a difference in that way. So thank you. Uh, before I get jumped into the teaching then, um, would you just join me in prayer as we continue to pray over... Western Kentucky and their continued rebuilding in the years to come. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are and for the ways that you continue to be at work in our world and in our lives, um, in the ministry of reconciliation and renewal. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we had to bear witness uh, to that work and to your presence um, in Western Kentucky this week uh, as communities and as churches opened up their buildings uh, supplied materials, offered their gifts and their labor in so many different ways, so many different pieces coming together. God, what a beautiful um, just sort of testament to your glory that it was. And we thank you. We ask that you'd continue to be at work specifically for those communities, for those towns, for those families who lost from the December tornadoes. Would you continue to bless them? Would you continue to provide for them? And would you continue to give them signs of your presence and signs of your hope that is always with them? Uh, we love you, Lord, and we just ask this special blessing upon them today and in the days to come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're continuing this morning in our series, Down to the River. 
where I'm sort of inviting you down to the river of the stories in Scripture, the story of our salvation, of these stories that, that happen along a river. That's sort of the metaphor throughout, the loose theme that's tying us together. And seeing how these stories along rivers that snake through Scripture, that bend and turn, really reveal to us themes of our own faith journeys. Themes like liberation and themes like healing and new life and renewal from this river of life that springs forth from the source that is God our creator uh, and finds its way kind of along the way in our own faith journey. Um, so that's where we are sort of in the different, different themes. And this morning I want to invite you back to the Jordan River where we found ourselves last week with the healing of Naaman that Gentile outsider enemy from the other, you know, other town over kind of thing, that there was healing available even for Naaman, right? And that was a healing that couldn't be bought. It's a healing um, that doesn't work like what the, the kings and the, uh, and the powers of the day expect, but it's healing that's available through faith and even for someone like Naaman, so we're going to go back to that Jordan River, but jumping back earlier in the story of Israel. So I want to set it up for just a minute because I don't want us to be confused. Uh, you know, before they had kings, before they had judges, even before they entered the promised land altogether, <laughs> even before they found themselves in the promised land like we, did, like we saw last week, we find Israel here now this morning along the River Jordan, about to cross in for the first time, about to cross into the promised land that God had promised them uh, for the very first time. Now, here's a just, this is sort of modern day, but here, here's a picture of the Jordan River. It starts north in the Sea of Galilee, runs south all the way down to the Dead Sea. Let me see, I don't want to say this wrong, 156 miles long. 156 miles long. Modern day on the border of Israel, western borders of both Syria and Jordan. As you can see, it's a great length, it's a great location, and throughout history, it's been a very important boundary in sort of different people groups and time and, you know, a, a geopolitical boundary, if you will. It's been very significant. So significant, in fact, so long through what we know of as the Holy Land, that the Jordan River is mentioned in the Bible over 185 times. And partly, I think, because of what happens along the Jordan, but also because of the significance of this story, which you'll see throughout Psalms, and as, as the people of God remember what God has done for them, they'll reference the Jordan River and passing through and crossing over, even this first time into the promised land. And so it's sort of a, I don't want to say the whole story of Israel is not iconic, but this is sort of another one of those big highlight moments for the people of Israel that I wanted to revisit today. All right, so a couple things to remember as we find ourselves along the Jordan again. Remember at this point, this is almost like following up from the teaching from week one when they crossed the Red Sea and were liberated out of Egypt. Okay, they've been set free. They've crossed the sea. Um, after that, they did wander in the wilderness for 40 years wrestling with deprivation and, and threats and, and deep anxiety and questioning where God is and how to follow God in this season. Their deliverance from Egypt was only the beginning, if you will, of their sort of reformation into God's people. 
They had to learn and relearn the truth that their God was mighty to save. They had to learn and relearn who they were and whose they were, called to be sort of the set-apart people, to be holy, to be in a covenantal relationship with God. So they've been set free from Israel. They've wandered through the wilderness. They have the the Ten Commandments. They have the law at this point. Moses has led them up until this point. But two things real quick to remember. Moses is now dead, and Joshua has been chosen to be his successor, to lead them now into the promised land. And then second, some earlier sort of spy missions you know, to lead them in, to say, you know, what's going on. They have found, here it says in Numbers, the people who live in the land are strong and the towns are fortified and very large. I want you to hear and understand that there's a lot of fear and anxiety on the boundary of this river as they prepare to cross over. Yes, into their promise. Yes, trusting in God, but without Moses and knowing that they face a fortified people, strong people, not quite sure how this is going to go down. Moses had been this giant for them. Scripture even says he was unequaled for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. It says that in Deuteronomy. There's a lot of fear and anxiety at this point. For Joshua, yes, but also for all of the people. And we see at the beginning of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua seems to need a lot of encouragement and reassurance that, yes, I'm going to be with you. Yes, says God, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Be bold, be strong, be courageous. Moses says this to him at the end of Deuteronomy, right? Like right as, you know, this transition of power is about to happen. And then God himself in Joshua 1 says it to him over and over and over again. As a, as a leader prone to anxiety myself, <laughs> I re- you can recognize here in this moment, it's like, man, Joshua must have really needed to hear this for how repetitive it is, for how much reassurance God is giving him in this moment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's where we pick up this morning in Joshua chapter 3 as they cross into the Jordan. So this is Joshua 3, verses 7 through 17. I'm going to read that for us now. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, all kinds of ites, the Jebusites. (laughs) Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all of the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, 
the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is like another wonder, right? Another miraculous crossing of water. But I think, I don't know, growing up, I didn't hear about this one as often as I heard about the Red Sea. Another dramatic crossing. We should hear, though, so many similarities, sort of this reminder of that same procession that happened at the Red Sea. This second crossing, then, it sort, of, it sort of bookends, if you will, Israel's journey from slavery out of Egypt through the Red Sea to freedom now into the Promised Land. It sort of bookends this 40-plus year period from slavery to freedom, from death to life, as they travel now into that promise. So why another water crossing? Like, why do we need another great wonder that is so similar If you remember back to the first week, if the purpose of the crossing of the Red Sea and that great mighty wonder where Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his horsemen and chariots were thrown into the sea, God said then that the purpose was that God could have glory over Pharaoh, that God could have the glory over Egypt, so that the people would know this is our God who is mighty to save, he can be trusted even in the midst, right, of all of their fear and doubt, even when they started questioning, did you just lead us out here to die in the wilderness? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Right, even in their fear, God says to them, stand still, be quiet, I will fight for you, right? So if the purpose of that first wonder is to have victory over Pharaoh. I mean, for them, the greatest power of their lives, right? The, the power of the sort of the empire, of their oppressor. And this is a wonder that's proving to the people of Israel that their God is mighty to save and stronger than Pharaoh, right? This crossing, it, while similar, the purpose feels a little bit different. The purpose is to prove to Joshua and the Israelites, that just as he has been with them under Moses, so he will still be with them now under Joshua as they enter into the promised land. It's a promise of God's presence. Why this second wonder? To prove to them that God is with them still. Even after all these years, after all these trials, after all of these I mean, like a lot went down in the wilderness, right? <laughs> like a lot, of, a lot of discipline happened at times. And even as they change over leaders now, 
even in the midst of more fear and anxiety, this river crossing is proving to them, this great wonder is proving to the Israelites a promise of God's presence. God's promises are sure and true and still stand for them today. So it's that presence you, you see that's, that's the center of this miracle, of this crossing. And we know this because it is the movement of the ark that is at the center of the story. You know, do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant is? The Ark of the Covenant, this is, you know, what some people think it might look like. Um, it, it's this container of sorts that they built that held the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And this Ark was also a sign to the people of God's living presence in the midst of them. Among you is the living God, says Joshua 3.10 that we just read. So as such, this, this Ark sort of radiated with holy and dangerous power. I mean, there were rules, right, of unauthorized people and persons, sort of non-priests, who came too close or touched the ark could die. At the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, we, we, we picked up in verse 7, but a few verses ahead, there are specific instructions during this river crossing of how close you were allowed to get to this ark. The people are instructed to give the ark some space, a distance of 2,000 cubits, if you will, and you will, because you're here. Do you, anyone know how, how long that is or how far? 2,000 cubits. Wrist to elbow? Eight. Okay, well, I actually don't know the unit of one cubit, but I do know 2,000 is about two-thirds of a mile. <laughs> so you do the math, Vance, and let me know later. We can announce it at the BTR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, get out your calculator. Just one, one moment, please. So, I mean, so they had to give a distance of two-thirds of a mile around this. So it may not feel as like this is a really big river crossing like some Red Sea, but it was enough dry ground for Israel to pass that they had to leave that much. And the ark was in the center of this crossing. Remember, the promise of the presence of the Lord was in the center of this miracle. And that's the wonder. There's almost this like liturgical procession that happens as the priests are carrying, the ones who can touch this thing, <laughs> as they're carrying it into across the river and they stand in the middle and they wait until all of Israel can pass through. And did you catch that like extra special note? Like this was the time of harvest, which means this is like one of the fastest flowing rivers. I mean, it was, this is a lot of water. It's, this isn't like, let's wade in gently. Like you could have, you know, there's a nice current, right? This was prone to overflowing during this time of year. Like, this is, this is a powerful river. And as soon as the toes of the priest begin to touch the water, it starts heaping up. It starts piling up. And I imagine sort of another wall or another, you know, sort of heap of, of water and dry ground. A wonder of God to prove to them his presence, the living God who is present with them. You know, throughout the wilderness, it was the presence of God that had gone before them, the presence of God that showed them the way, the presence of God that made a way for them when there wasn't a way, and here it is happening again. God making a way for them when, when there was no way. Joshua 3.10 says, By this you shall know that among you is the living God. By this you shall know. 
know has a range of meanings here. It can be uh, comp- from comprehend of how this word can be used in sort of the Hebrew. It can be comprehend. It can be experienced. It can be recognized. By this you shall know that among you is the living God. By this wonder they will recognize God at work among them. They will comprehend and, and experience God's presence with them by this wonder. They will know that God exists and will help them in times of need. By this they will know. And very similar, well, kind of similar, there's a response of faithfulness after this. Right? Just as when they cross the Red Sea, the only proper response for that kind of freedom is a song. Got to get up and dance and sing. That's what Miriam tells them. We got to rejoice. And they did that. Right after they crossed the Red Sea, they worshiped God. They sang and danced and rejoiced for their freedom. Here there's also a a response of faithfulness. In Joshua chapter 4, God instructs them to gather 12 stones and and to build um, a tower, if you will to remember what God had done for them in this place. I'm going to read it for us. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, so in the center, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then just... Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. In Scripture, we see the people of God sort of stacking stones at places where they had formed a covenant with God or of places they were instructed to remember God's faithfulness and God's presence and God's action for them. Across culture, peoples have sort of done this, stacked rocks and, and sometimes referred to as cairns. Is that how you say it? Cairns. That sounds right. Cairns. Thank you. Say it confidently. and You can still be wrong. That was my, that's my secret, right? They sort of built to mark a place, either for navigation or burial sites or or ceremonies. This is what we see Israel instructed to do here, 12 stones. In the center of where the ark stood, built to remember, built to tell a story. What do these stones mean to you? I love that question. Inevitably, Not all of the people who were in this company that day had been at the Red Sea crossing, right? Inevitably to come, of course, not everybody who was at the Jordan River crossing on this day 
will be there forever, will be a part of the nation of Israel. Generations and generations later, they have to know who they are. They have to remember. They have to tell the story for generations to come of who they are and whose they are of the God that they serve. And isn't that the gift of traditions, right? Sometimes we can become too bound by them. But isn't that the gift of traditions that allow us to tell our story of who we are, that we can pass on, to the, pass on the faith to generations to come? What do these stones mean to you? I loved one scholar I came across this week said this, This sort of nondescript monument in the midst of the Jordan would cause all inquisitive children to ask. Don't you love that? Like the sweet little kids, you know, come along a few years later like, what does that mean? All the inquisitive children to ask, what do these stones mean to you? The writer urges the readers not to miss this golden opportunity to share the story. Tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Each of us has experienced significant moments, often in the daily life, the ongoing monotony of daily life, when we knew for sure that God was with us and helping us. The scholar says, be ready to tell that story. Just as we read in 1 Peter, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Can you go to that? Is that on there, Doug, First Peter? Yeah, there it is. I thought so. Okay. Always be ready to tell your story of how God has shown up for you, how God has proved God's presence with you throughout our faith journey of this promise that God is always with us. Be ready. For anyone who demands for an accounting of the hope that is within you, of the why, for why you are the way that you are, filled with hope, filled with faith, filled with joy, filled with purpose. Answering that question, what do these stones mean to you? You know, I think the thing that was most most striking about our time uh, in western Kentucky and in Madisonville is as we left every morning from Madisonville, from Hanson UMC, to drive the 25, 30 minutes, depending on who was driving, (laughs) to drive the 30 minutes (laughs) to Dawson Springs, is that you, I didn't look anywhere, (laughs) is that you can see, you could see the path that the storm had taken. The tree line will forever be changed. And you could see it as you, as you sort of drove through the little city blocks of, of sweet Dawson Springs that did have a population of 2,200 people. Now they estimate about 1,800. And they're not sure if the people will come back or not. One of the lots we were cleaning up on Friday, they still owned the lot. Their sort of mangled metal trailer was in the front. And we were trying to just clean up some debris so that he could mow his lot. But he'd found a place to stay in Princeton. I don't know if there were plans to rebuild on his lot or not, if he planned to come back to Dawson Springs or not. But they estimate the population now to be about 1,800. And there were certain streets that you drove down 
where every single house was either brand new or missing. The lots had been cleared, and there was left just steps to nowhere from the sidewalk. You didn't know the story of every lot, of who was planning to come back. But what I found most striking is that you could stand on a hilltop and see the path that the storm had taken. This community will never look the same. And in fact, a lot of places where these houses have been built back, uh, a couple folks that we worked with said these are going to be much nicer than the homes they had before. Someone used the phrase, a blessing in disguise. I didn't hear anyone use that who lived in Dawson. But what I did experience and know is that they were incredibly grateful for the home that they had and would have. And that maybe there was hope that maybe folks would return. Because they were going to be in a little bit of a better position than they were before December. And one of the days I looked up and it was just sort of like a mound of like mangled, like uh, foundation concrete with those, what are those like rebarb, thank you, rebarb coming out. It was like they had just like collected all in one spot. Listen, I, I've, I learned a lot this week, fans. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so as you're driving through town, there was like a lot where all of that had been like collected in one spot. And I had been reading, right, and meditating on this. And and that question, what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean to you? Sort of kept coming up as we drove by that. I think we got a little taste this week of of what those stones mean to the folks of Dawson Springs. As they stopped, every every person almost that drove by stopped to roll down their window and say thank you. People out walking their dog, stopping to share with us and tell us their story. Going into the local store, the local hardware store, the local um, sort of gas station to use the bathroom. You know, they knew we were not from around there. And they would stop us and say, where are you from? Thank you for coming. It is amazing to see the response of God's people. They had experienced God's love and presence with them. And the overwhelming response of people who had come from all over the nation, all over the nation, continuing to come. A group of like 100 people is going to Dawson. Next week, there'll be 1,900 people in Dawson Springs. I think these stones will stand as a remembrance for them. A remembrance, yes, of the precious lives lost. A remembrance of the destruction that they survived, yes. But above all, a remembrance of the presence and love of God that they have experienced in the aftermath from so many that have shown up for this community with love. A sign of hope, if you will, that God's love is still with them and still for them. Doug, there's one more picture I wanted to show on the last lot that we served. So this is here. We were, we were spick and spanning this. We were cleaning up lots of different little pieces of debris and glass and trying to rake up as much as we could because this will be rebuilt. And in the very back, in the bottom right-hand corner, if you go to the next one, there were flowers. And I know they looked a lot prettier in person, I'm going to be honest. The end of the week, Friday, and I thought it was this reminder for me, hope springs eternal out of destruction, out of debris, out of ash. God is with us.
God is present, the God, our creator of the universe. And as people of faith now, through Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, God with us, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this promise too. So I'll leave you with that question. What wonders have been done in your life that have made you so aware of God's presence? Let me know if you've had a river crossing. So I'd love to rejoice with you. But metaphorically, what wonders have you seen? What wonders have been done in your life that you know, that you know, that you know God's presence is with you? God's love is for you. How do you remember it? How do you mark it? How do you hold on? How do you respond in faith to those moments? And are you ready to tell people about it? What do those stones mean to you? I know the people that came back this week are ready to tell about it. Because we're going we're gonna to do it again next summer somewhere. We're going to serve and we're going to respond. And I'd love for all of you to come with us and do it. What do these stones mean to you? Because if God is with us, whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever fear, whatever uncertainty on the edge of that river, whatever new venture, whatever new crossing, whatever new challenge, whatever crazy young new leader that you have, God is with us. Thank you, Rachel. God is with us, right? God is with us as we cross into the future. And if God is with us, what should we be afraid of? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these promises that are true, for these promises that are sure. We thank you for your love, even in the midst of so much uncertainty in our world today, so much destruction, so much death, whether it's the tornadoes that we, that we experienced months ago or whether it's other challenges in the climate of our world, in our day-to-day life, the anxiety that we carry. God, I just pray a special blessing upon us here that we would feel the warmth and the comfort of your presence right now, that we would remember that you are always with us, that you are working wonders among us to prove to us your love. Would you give us eyes to see it? Would you give us hearts to receive it? Would you give us courage to respond in faith, to tell others about it, to be prepared to account for the hope that is within us because of your great power and because of your great love. We thank you for who you are, for who you are and for how you continue to work among us. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Several of you that went and served this week in that partnership, we really appreciate it. We were in, on the mission field in several places, and you will be as you leave this place to serve, to tell the story, to be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. And if anybody ever asks how much is one cubit, you can tell them, it's 17.49 inches. 17 and a half. Thank you, Van Taylor. I hope you have a great week. I hope you know that God goes before you and with you and continues to make a way when sometimes it feels like there is no way. God is with us. Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit is within you. 
So go in that hope, go in that love, go in that peace, and let's be the revolution. Amen.